Hello, Pod Sequentialism listeners. This is your host, Matt Kennedy, and I have a special gift for you. We're going to be raffling off two tickets for LACMA's Guillermo del Toro at Home with Monsters exhibition for November. And you can get into this raffle by subscribing to Meltdown Newsletter and by subscribing to Pod Sequentialism on iTunes. And we're going to qualify you, so you have to take a screen cap of your subscription to Pod Sequentialism on iTunes and the Meltdown Newsletter. And you have to post it on our Facebook page. So look for Pod Sequentialism with Matt Kennedy on Facebook and add us as a friend and follow us on Instagram and on Twitter. You don't have to do all three to join the contest, but you do have to post on our wall on Facebook and you may win tickets to see the Guillermo del Toro exhibition, which is awesome. Hello and welcome to Pod Sequentialism. I am your host, Matt Kennedy, and um, I want to welcome to the show um, a, a, somebody that I've been seeing around for a really long time in our social circle, and I noted last time I saw him that it had been about a year since I'd seen him in person, mm-hmm. but I was enjoying seeing him on television. So, uh, <laughs> you know, without further ado, I want to introduce my guest. This is uh, Carl McDowell. Thank you for having me, Matt. Absolutely. And, and um, short notice, so it was great to be able to schedule something, and sometimes it takes months. But um, like I say, I've, I've been loving watching Ballers. I love when I see people that I know on television. Yeah. And especially like really cool people, people that are really nice and, and just like that I'd like to spend more time around. Mm. And then I see, and it's kind of a blessing and a curse because I'll, I'll see you on TV and I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that dude in a while. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, he's so good on this. <laughs> But um, how'd that happen? So, you, I mean, you've been acting for a while. I have been. But um, Ballers really, really picked up steam fast for HBO. Yeah. Yeah. Last year, it was um, like they didn't know what it, what it would do. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kind of like ended the season and they wrapped everything up in a pretty little bow because yeah. they didn't know they would get a season two. And season two is taking off even further. Yeah. So now uh, the writer said uh, they're going to really go crazy with season three. So That's amazing. Well, what's it like working with the highest paid actor in Hollywood? Because he is now. Well, he don't loan any money to me, so that's... <laughs> He's cool, man. He's really cool. He's all he loves to work. He, yeah, he has to work at the, the, like nobody else, and uh, he just likes to work. That's what I'm paying heard. off for him. Yeah, um, a friend of mine, Dan Madigan, um, was a director for Monday Night Raw and um, for at WWE, mm-hmm. and worked with with Dwayne quite a bit, and said that you know most wrestlers have just an incredibly high work ethic. Uh-huh. Like their their production output's incredible, and what they can work through injured, you know, yeah. and everything is amazing. But that it was really easy to see him rise from the beginning like they knew they had something special and it's great that he's been able to transition from sports entertainment into straight up acting yeah I mean he had he was so likable at first he was a bad guy yeah and nobody liked him and heel he, baby face heel baby face yeah <laughs> and he, was, he was he would toe the line like he's doing in ballers too yeah you love him and then like you're like oh what are you doing Spencer what are yeah. you doing like, why are you popping pills why are you popping pills yeah. yeah so I mean maybe he's gonna take that on in ballers as well though he'll mm-hmm. Get it back. <laughs> so when when you got the call in to audition for it, um, had had the producers seen you in other stuff, or was it more of an open call? I think it was more of an open call. Like I, I originally went in for Fat Reggie, mm-hmm. so I went in for that part mm-hmm. um, a few times. I went in for his part, and um, and then I didn't hear anything for a couple months, and mm-hmm. then uh, they was like, "Hey, Ballers, want you to come back and read for another part?" And I was like, "All right, let's do it." Mm-hmm. And I went in, and I, that was when I read for TTD, and uh, that was. It was just a fun read. It was yeah. just me being stone talking about her, and I just played it like me being stone talking about her. Mm-hmm. And um, 
Um, so yeah, I went in for that like maybe four times and fine. I, again, it was months before I heard anything, yeah. and uh, I just wrote it off as like nothing's going, nothing's coming from that place. And then uh, I think three months later they called me and it was like, hey, you're gonna go to Miami and film Ballers. You know, film wow. one episode and let's see what happens. So I filmed one episode, and then they had me come back for another episode and mm-hmm. another episode, and now I'm on season two. So I'm happy about it. <laughs> and you're great. Like I say, it's it's great to see you in the show because you really you supply a certain amount of of comic relief in a show that has a lot of comedy in it already. Mm-hmm. So that means that it's it's sort of a showcase for your comedic talents because when you work with with other people that and a lot of people who are being funny playing straight. Which is great, mm-hmm. you know that that's that's a skill that that a lot of people didn't used to have, and you, you'd you'd see it at auditions all the time if you write against somebody in an audition room, mm-hmm. and you know everybody is trying to be like one hundred and ten percent, and it's everybody. like the funniest guy in the room is the guy that's kind of like stone faced and just does the reaction. <laughs> that dude always gets the part. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's frustrating, but the um, but because you're in in a situation where it's. I mean, athletes are absolutely the new rock stars. Mm-hmm. So this really is kind of entourage, you know, for athletes yep. in, in a way. Yeah, it really is. And, I mean, it's, it's produced by the same people as yeah. entourage. It's, it's pretty much entourage with athletes. Yeah. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Now, the, let me ask you this, too. So, the, um, And it seems like because they had a long a long production time, you, you, you mentioned getting called in for one role, not hearing for a while, mm-hmm. a long time later getting called in to um, audition for another role, and a few a few callbacks in between, Yeah, and then a long time before you hear back. Then they get ready to go, but they go to pilot first before, mm-hmm. they, before they commit to a season. And it seems like it's, it's benefited that they really took their time yeah. Finding the right people in the right roles to be able to make this thing work for the long run. It does. It seemed like they took their time, like they 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 pieced everything perfectly together. Mm-hmm. Everybody worked. I mean, if you on a set, if you come on a set, you'll see that everybody love each other. Every, like you don't even have to be working that day and you'll come in just to hang out with everybody. Nah, that's a good set. That's it's a good set. Yeah. And and um like I'll go there for like weeks at a time. I'll be in Miami and I'll just be hanging out going and touring, seeing Miami, but then mm-hmm. I'll go on set just to hang out. Just to, Even if it's my day off, I'll go hang out and talk to everybody and watch everybody. And I'm a fan of this show. I don't like, I don't even like to read all the scripts because I want to see it. You want to find out like everybody else. I want to find out just like everybody else. But uh, yeah, I'm, I love that show. So I'll go there and I'll hang out and it's just so much fun. When you're shooting, what's your schedule like? Like when do they start shooting and then when do they close up a season? Um, they start, uh, we start like table reads in October, mm-hmm. maybe late October, early November, we start shooting and we wrap in February. So you're in, you're in Miami during Basel. I was there. Yeah. I was there for uh, Art Basel last yeah. time. Yeah. Oh man. It is a scene. You got, have you been? I have. I, have. I haven't to... been in years because it's, it's gigantic now. You can't get hotel rooms anymore. I've got family that live in Florida, so I could do the commute. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not in Miami, but they're not too, too far away. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've been wrestling with whether or not I'm going to go. I might go this year because, um, the collective that I work with, the Panic Collective, uh, have made some, some artwork for a Haitian charity relief. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's going to be auctions possibly at Basel um, for that. It's part of Sean Penn and, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's Ben Ben Stiller and um, wow. Jason Siegel wow. are all, all really involved. Um, Jason um, comes to the gallery, buys stuff from me all the time. One of the greatest guys in the world. He and his, his girlfriend, Alex, Alexis, are just fabulous. Mm-hmm. 
they were like, oh, we, we just got back from Haiti. Look at these pictures where we got involved with this charity. Do you want to be a part of this? Wow. And I was like, this is amazing. Of course. Yeah. I want to be part of but, so it might be the first time I'm back in Miami since 2005. Well, if I'm there, man, you got a room. Oh, my God. Come that'd be hang. Yeah, Come that'd hang, be... go to the Basel. I went, I went one day, I think, because uh, I was shooting most of the days. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I got off and I was like, I'm going to, I got to go see what that, what the, the talk is all about and mm-hmm. i mean it was they had everything like everywhere you went it was art it was yeah. cars it was people everybody was having fun yeah. it's it's a scene well plus and it's miami it's miami so there's this whole other aspect to how incredibly almost ridiculous the um the parties can get it, i mean it seems like it's uh because miami is a rich town yeah so it's a lot of money in miami but when you got art basil it's like people just throwing money around. It's, yeah. it's so much money there. And um, it's just rich, more rich people coming out and showing off. And and you see it, and it's, it's the same, man. It's something you want to be a part of. Like, mm-hmm. you want to see all these people, celebrities everywhere, uh, mm-hmm. rich people everywhere, art everywhere. And Miami's an art yeah. town. Like, if you go to the art district or... And it's a colorful city anyway. It's colorful. It is. It really is. And uh, it's just pretty to, to walk around. Like, I'll I'll just... Leave the hotel and walk for hours and yeah. just check out stuff. So where where did you grow up? Chicago. Okay, I lived in Chicago for a year. Really? Yeah, I lived I lived in the corner of um, oh my gosh, Cortland and Washtenaw. So right on the outside corner, uh, outside part of um, Humboldt Park. Humboldt By Park. then, they'd already started calling it like West Bucktown. Oh man, Humboldt Park. I've been there a few times. Yeah. And, uh, it wasn't great. <laughs> no, it's not it's not a great times. area. It's it's uh it's pretty it was really terrible in the 90s. Yeah. And in the early 2000s it started to transition and by the um the late 2000s it had pretty much pulled out and then all the scandals in Chicago government and the state government and then now the murder capital of the world. Yeah, it's sad, man. It's sad. Chicago is sad. My mom is, um, she's back there. My family's back there. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mom, she'll tell me like, oh, yeah, 30 people got shot last night. And uh, when are you coming home? I'm not coming home, mama. (laughs) What are you talking about? What, what, um, What neighborhood? I grew up across from Comiskey Park. So it was Stateway Gardens. It was those... Um, projects across the street. Right, right. They tore them down, and then we moved to 79th and Carpenter. So uh, we was over there for the rest of my life. Is that over by the Harlem stop? Um, there's two stops off the um, the red line that goes to the airport? Um, no, it's not like Harlem. Um, it's like Ashland. Ashland, Halstead. okay. Yeah. Okay. So over in that area. It's pretty centrally located. Yeah, it's in, yeah. The, it's, it's in the city. It's in the heart of the city. Okay. It's in... Uh, West Inglewood, I think they call it. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's not great either. Like, yeah. It's not. I don't like to go home. I don't like to be around it. Um, if I do go home, I want to go and do it touristy. Like, yeah. Go downtown. Gold Coast, Roscoe, you know, Roscoe Village, um, Wicker Park. Yeah, you know, do it, do it like uh, like just any tourist would go and do it and yeah. come. Because everybody I talk to, they say, "Oh, I love Chicago. It's yeah. such a great city," and I'm like. Oh, what part did you go to? Yeah. Well, I, I, I get that, though, because, you know, I, I grew up just north of Boston. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll talk to people about, oh, Boston, Boston's so great. It's such a beautiful city. I'm like, how many days did you stay? <laughs> you know, it's like, did you stay yeah. that fifth day? And I'm definitely not trash talking in my hometown. But um, 
but I'm always surprised, like when when I hear that people is like, oh, everybody's so nice there. I'm like, you didn't spend any time around my family. <laughs> you know? Again, no offense to my family, but um, but it's sort of like maybe it's because there's that familiarity with and the baggage that we bring from where we grow up in our experiences mm-hmm. in those areas, and clearly we don't live there anymore. Yeah, you know, like that. For it's a like, reason. Yeah, for a reason. <laughs> um, I did travel about three thousand miles, about as far away from Boston as I could get in the continental United States. Um, but it's it's interesting. So when did you leave? When did you move out of Chicago? Uh, when I was 18, I went away to college, mm-hmm. and I've never been back. Where'd you go to college at? I went to Illinois Valley. Mm-hmm. It was in Illinois, in Oglesby, Illinois. And then I went to Joliet Junior College. Yeah. And then I went to uh, University of Lincoln in Missouri. See, that's interesting, because <clears throat> Joliet is also, you know, it's whenever I would drive in and out, mm-hmm. like I would, of course, drive through Joliet. You know, okay. it's like you come up across route, the, yeah. route, the fake Route 66, which is like <laughs> the easy way to get in and out if you're going to travel. I've had to deliver some art pieces to Indianapolis, and it's that same route. Just keep going straight up, yep. and you're there. I've done it twice in 40 hours or less. Wow. Driving. Nice. Yeah, pull over for like an hour, try to get sleep. In the summer, it's hot. You can't sleep. You just drive. Yeah. You know, lots of caffeine. Look like <laughs> a maniac by the time you arrive. You just want to shower and fly out. But the, um, the interesting thing is like Joliet's not that far from Chicago, mm-hmm. but it is a world apart in a lot of ways. Yeah. And a lot of people that I know, a lot of people that I know back in Boston actually um, have rarely if ever traveled outside of even New England, and many haven't traveled out of the United States, what I thought was interesting about the people that I met in Chicago, two things that struck me. I couldn't believe how many vegetarians there were mm. that smoked, <laughs> which seems like you know a weird <laughs> thing. Out. Yeah, but um, but also that um, people were relatively worldly. Like I knew a, a couple of kids that um, they grew up in like Frankfurt, Indiana, um, went to the um, university and. Um, you know, and were football players and ended up working in like a, an online type business in Chicago. But that year after college, they, they split. They went to like, one went to Spain for a year or two. Mm. Another went to Japan for a year or two. And then they came back to Chicago, which was their familiar big city. Mm. You know, so it, it wasn't Frankfurt. It wasn't like a small town yeah. in Indiana, but it was definitely a a it was their big city. Like New York didn't seem like a place that they would want to live and they just weren't digging LA. And it's funny that I know of all the people I know in, in every place, Boston and um, and Chicago, people where I know really high concentration of people, there are some people that just do not like Los Angeles. Really? Yeah. Oh man, I love Los Angeles so I much. I love Los Angeles. I know, and I'm like I'm the biggest it. fan. Like Pasadena, I'm like I might as well be in the Chamber of Commerce. I've oh. got nothing bad to say about the town that I live in. I love it, and you know I, I do go to the Chamber of Commerce meetings in Hollywood, <laughs> and um, you know it's all about you know what can we do to make this even better type of thing. And I, I've become so invested in. It. I've been out here now for 26 or 27 years, mm-hmm. and. Um, I was Gaston's Gaston Owens Meltdown. We're recording. I was his roommate. Helped him build Meltdown across the street when he first went into business. Mm-hmm. And um, you know we've we've got tons of connections over the years. But the the interesting thing about you know embracing the city, it was so mean to me the first couple of years I was here. Really, you know the city was rough, but the people were awesome. Mm-hmm. You know it's like I got here right before the earthquakes, the riots, hmm. the um, the fires, like Ooh. the whole nine yards. And by like 1995, it seemed like 
everybody who couldn't deal just left, and it was beautiful for a few oh, years. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> there was, was still no traffic. Oh man, I lived I on this street great. over here from like 2000 to 2007 or so, um, right here on Gardner. Um, you know, I'm still friends with people who live in that building that that still live there that have lived there at this point like 15, 16, 17 nice. years, and um, but that's the thing. It's like. When you first came out here, mm -hmm. um, did you come out for acting or did you just come out because you're like, I want to go to L.A.? I came out because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I, was, I knew I was, in, I was going to school to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. And I knew if I like, got my degree and started teaching, mm -hmm. life would be over for me. I'd yeah. be a teacher and that'd be it. I'd wake up, I'd be 60, yeah. still teaching. So I made a deal with myself to come out to L.A., and I, I thought I wanted to just do stand-up. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to do stand-up. And I was like, I'll go out there. I'll see if I can do stand-up. I'll give it a couple years. If something happens, I'll stay. If nothing happens, I'll go finish my degree mm -hmm. and be a teacher. And I came out here and I, I did the comedy thing and I I liked it. It was fun. I, didn't, I wasn't funny enough, I didn't think. And um, I didn't want to work at it too hard, I guess. I just wanted to, I wanted to focus on acting then. Mm -hmm. So then I started focusing on acting and um, stayed out here. Yeah. But that was what got me out here was just not knowing what I wanted to do with life. And then what year was that? 2003. Okay, yeah. So it's like, it's interesting because it's, it's still, this is still that city. Mm. It was that city for me in 1991. Mm. You know, like, if I'm going to figure stuff out, I'm going to figure stuff out in L.A. Yeah. You know, and back then the rent was low enough. And when you came out, the rent was still not terrible. It wasn't terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, like, uh, I think... We had a two-bedroom apartment right over here around the corner that when we moved in around around that time was like eight ninety five. Oof. One bathroom, one parking space. Oof. But yeah, those days are gone. Those days are <laughs> long, long gone. gone. Talked to Jim of Food still lives in the place, you know, a couple blocks from mm -hmm. here that he moved into when he came out. And he's like, dude, we live three blocks away. We never knew it. How is that possible? I was like, well, then my life was that way. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you'd, you'd come, off, come out the street and you'd head in one direction. My whole life was in that direction. And his life was in a different direction. So like this neighborhood wasn't so developed and built up that you actually hung out here and did stuff. It mm -hmm. was like all guitar center type stores. There weren't a lot of restaurants then. You know. Did you have like, because uh, you kind of have a click or, or, or a system that you would do. Yeah. So it would take you to where you're going. Like uh, for the first three years, I think I was always in Hollywood. Yep. Down by the comedy store, <laughs> down by the Laugh Factory. Yep. I, was, I was always in those places. And then after that, I went to Echo Park, and I would always be around there. Like it's, it seems like you you go to these places, and then you're just there for a couple years, yeah. and then you can branch out and go do other things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I can see how like you could be three blocks away and not even know each other. Yeah, and, <clears throat> and it's you know people used to always say you know the bad thing about LA is you don't know your neighbors, and actually now I do. You know, mm -hmm. and and living in in Pasadena, I actually do know my neighbors really. Not super well, but I know them, friendly with them. And then I know people that live down the street. Mm -hmm. We know all the businesses oh, nice. uh, on Green Street. We stop in and say hello to people. We frequent those areas. When I see an empty storefront, it bums me out. Mm, you know, like, oh, yeah. the, or I think this would be a great place for, you know, and think of that thing and hope that that's what goes in there. <laughs> and um, to an extent, like, you know, since I've been back running the gallery after leaving the entertainment business a few years ago, that, um, and now it's been seven years or be eight years soon that I've been back running the gallery mm -hmm. um, that community building has become a really important aspect of what I want to do so not just that I'll get involved with something and ha that'll have a community aspect to it but trying to get the right people lined up to 
put stores next to each other. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you guys may may benefit from this. This could be a good thing. And, and reaching out to our neighbors, like we've got an umami burger on the block. And when they moved in, we immediately was, I was like, I knew what their food was. I knew the, the La Brea location. And it was, mm-hmm. you know, a, a drive to location, drive in, drive out. And, um, Doing all the um, the research for the other businesses, we we kind of, we formed a, a business association, and I guess you know what I'm getting at is that you know we all do this. Like anybody who's in entertainment, we do this, and it, and it, mm-hmm. it speaks to your point. It's like you find your community. You find your community, and now like Echo Park is you know becoming kind of Williamsburg, <laughs> you know, like New York, or becoming Wicker Park mm. to an extent. It's very walkable. Yeah, There's I love a lot that. of a lot of great Echo places. Park. It was so quiet. Like at nine o'clock, it just shut down. Yeah. No, it was nothing outside. Every once in a while, you hear like something weird, like, oh, it was a murder around the corner or something like that. And you'd <laughs> be like, Park oh. Avenue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then nothing. And you just be, it just be quiet and quiet. Yeah. You can go down to the coffee shop, get you a coffee. You can go to yeah. a cafe. It was, it was really fun, Echo Park. I, um, I like that area. Mm-hmm. And I like the community. It was kind of like a community. Mm-hmm. You where don't do, see where do you live now? I live in Koreatown. Nice. Vermont and Wilshire. Oh, that's that's again. That's like a huge growth area. Very walkable. A little funkier at it's, night sometimes. Yeah, it's getting it's sketchy at night. Yeah. Um, but if you, during the day you can you can live it up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but so was Echo Park in two thousand three. Yeah. <laughs> it's still a little sketchy at <laughs> it night. Was, it was sketchy at this night. This was sketchy at night, like right over here in two thousand three. Hollywood is the weirdest uh, because everybody comes to Hollywood. Yeah. You got to see Hollywood, but like Hollywood and Vine and those are the sketchiest places in the yeah. world oh. to walk down Hollywood Boulevard in nineteen ninety one. In 1991, when I moved out here, the streets were covered in trash. Um, every alcove in front of every shoe store, and there were a lot of shoe stores on Hollywood Boulevard, mm-hmm. was a sleeping area for homeless people. Really? And um, a lot of them were definitely required medical attention. Like, they required mental health services. They would scream all night. Um, it was it was crazy. And that was when on... On Saturday nights, people were still cruising, and there was mm-hmm. like cr- like the cruising signs, like you can't make a left turn here, and it was all like the low riders with the, um, the bouncing backs. <laughs> yeah. And back then we had a we had a '77 Nova, and it was not souped up, so it was like <laughs> if we were trying to get in and out when it was that, people thought that we were there for cruising in this like bombed out Nova. You know, it was like I'm like what five foot four, you know? <laughs> pale as snow, you know, and I got like my shaft jacket on, like trying just trying to get someplace. But the um, you know, as as the systems change and as as things have have gotten a bit renewed, like it sort of is the Hollywood that people want to visit now. Mm. Like you know, you have like the the cosplay actors out in front of yeah. the mall, which is which looks like Times Square. I now. like that. I like that. Yeah, <clears throat> you got Jimmy Kimmel's over there, and and you've got like you know, the, there's the Marie Tassad, um wax museum, the wax museum, and the the man's Chinese. Everybody still goes for their handprints and all that stuff. And um, where it used to be, I think, a little bit further west over by, like, where the Capitol Records building was, I mean, it was so sketchy down there for years. Even that's coming up. Yeah. Well, they got the W Hotel over there. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And they and build it, and, and, they, and they, like, bringing up those condos, like, every five minutes. I mean, yeah. every time you look around, it's a new building up, and you're like, yeah. whoa, that wasn't there yesterday. I'm, I'm against them putting up the hotels further east, and they were, there's this discussion about maybe a hotel going in at that corner where uh, Sunset and Hollywood meet, and I'm like, there's no parking over there. It's, it, it couldn't support it. Mm. You know, we've been begging the city to open up this lot um, to for people to pay and park because there's, like, 700 spaces, and mm. none of them are used, and it's it's being leased, I think, by Children's Hospital. 
But um, I mean, that that impacts your neighborhoods. It does. And that impacts where you go. It, it does. You know, like if you can't go out and get around, I mean, the beautiful thing about Chicago is that there is that kind of central loop. But I didn't spend a lot of time anywhere in that central loop when I was in Chicago. I, I did spend time where, you know, between like the, the California stop and say like Damon. Mm-hmm. And then if I had friends that wanted to meet up someplace downtown, you could do that. And it was awesome to be able to take the, the subway directly into the airport. Yeah. But then you yeah. come back to five parking tickets on you know on your car because <laughs> they pop a sign up at night for seven AM the next morning. But yeah. uh but it's it's a different kind of it there it, there still seems to be people do get out and walk around even though it can be freezing cold. And there is uh, of course a bar every ten feet that you can poke oh, into. Oh man, it's everywhere. Yeah. <clears throat> everywhere. And Chicago, I love the um the public transportation system because you can get literally like a block from anywhere you gotta go. Yeah. And you can walk there. Here it's not so great. Like yeah, I mean, we're sprawly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the train is like branching out now. You can go to the beach now. That's yeah. cool. And um, almost all the way out to Azusa. Ooh, they're ooh. building an extension. Actually, you can go to Azusa now, and they're going to build an extension that goes from Azusa to Claremont. Okay. So like all so the Claremont I mean, colleges. To, yeah, it's they're like trying to get it. But I mean, you would think this is LA. It should yeah. be. It should be done already. I uh, we always thought it was the earthquakes. That, oh, you know that okay. maybe they can't dig certain places okay. because it's not fault friendly. But when I saw that big hole in the ground down on like Seventh in LA, that was there for like four years, and now there's a huge building on top of it. They can build anything. Oh, so it's just they just dragging their feet. Yeah, yeah, oh, that yeah. Sucks. I think they get to pull a lot of money out of the state. Well, we're gonna take our first break really quickly, and um, we we'll hear a little word from our sponsors. And um, we get back, we're going to talk to, we're going to get some biographical stuff. We're going to talk about craft. We're going to talk about, you know, talk about comedy some more. Cool. All right. All right. So we'll be right back after these messages. Hello, and welcome back to Pod Sequentialism. I am, of course, your host, Matt Kennedy. Um, you've been listening to and enjoying the conversation, I hope, <laughs> between myself and Carl. And Carl's fantastic. Um, talk to me about comedy. Comedy, comedy, comedy was a. Uh, it's um, I've I've always been funny. I think, but it was like uh, because growing up in Chicago with my cousins, I had boy cousins. And they were older than me, and they would always uh, we would take play the dozen. So we would always talk about each other and try to one up each other, and <laughs> and that was always fun. So anytime we were around each other, we would do this, and they would always get me. Always, they was always so much better than me. Mm-hmm. And one time, it was a girl there. Every comedian I've ever met has a funnier older brother really yeah, <laughs> yeah just like everybody Chris Rock and Tony Rock they, yeah it's, it's, it, it goes that way and um, I mean this girl I, I like this girl I, could, I was scared to tell this girl I liked her and my cousins came in and I mean they they talked about me like a dog and it was like the worst thing that this girl saw me get talked about by my cousins and I went home that night and I was like they'll never do this to me again <laughs> I'm just going to brush up, and every time they say anything, I'm going to have a response for it. And Got like a little cap box written down <laughs> in your notebook for school. I'm going to cap on your mother. <laughs> I had my cap and notes, and it was like, your mom is so fat. Blah, blah. And I would, <laughs> I would just write all these things down, and every time they came, I would just shut them down, shut them down. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever saw that girl again, though, so I never got to do it in front of her, but <laughs> she's the reason why I got funny. And, uh, yeah, coming out here to do comedy, it was a it was a it was a scene. Like yeah. uh, I went to the comedy store, and the first time, it was a the potluck. So on a Monday nights mm-hmm. or something like that, you uh, 
40 comedians would line up for 20 spots. So you yeah. all pool numbers. And, and that then, goes back to Richard Pryor. Yeah. You know, and like the classic 1970s amazing collection of talent. You know, we have George Carlin and Robin Williams oh, and these guys. Man. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a history there. There's a history there. And you go to the comedy store and, you, and you're a part of that history. You're like, yeah. oh, this is where... Richard Pryor did his yeah. thing. Where all these comics did their thing. So I wanted to do that, and uh, and I remember I was like, all right, I'll pull a number. If I get a spot, I'll go home. I'll write three minutes, and I'll come back and do it. Yeah. And I pulled number twenty, which was the headline <laughs> spot, and I went home and I wrote some jokes, and it was they was like really stupid, mm. basic jokes like having phone sex with a f- actual phone kind of <laughs> stupid things like that and, right, uh, right. and I came back and it got some laughs and I was like alright this is kind of fun I was I'm, I was really nervous when they called my name I was like I'm not going up there I'm not I'm just gonna let it slide and then I, I like crept up to the stage and did it did the jokes and uh, I was really nervous they laughed and then it all washed away and at, yeah. at that point I was like I gotta do it again I wanna do it again yeah. and you get like a high it's kinda like a drug that you, cold sweat turns into adrenaline real turns fast turns into adrenaline and yeah. you just like when that three minutes done you're like oh that's it I wanna, I wanna do more I wanna do more <laughs> <laughs> they get the hook out and pull you off <laughs> the side of the stage <laughs> like Milton Berle yeah. So the um, and what's cool too is like 2003 is a really kind of great pivotal time to get here for that because um, I'm sure you know they do comedy melt here at Meltdown Comics mm. and that's been like a huge launch pad not just for young comics but for TV shows you know that there've been like two or three TV shows that have launched out of you know the Nerdist being here and then like the Nerd Melt and the Comic Melt that's been around at this point for a really long time. A lot of non-traditional places started doing comedy nights. Mm. So there's been, since the early 2000s, maybe even late 1990s, um, more opportunity for comics to work their craft. It used to be, you know, if you came in the, in the 90s, there was the improv, the comedy store, and the Laugh Factory. Yeah. And then it was, you know, Groundlings. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Mm. And now you got, you know, Upright Comedy Brigade, um, Bright Citizens Brigade. Sorry, I'm get torn to pieces for that. <laughs> oh, someone's someone's going to be like, get an email. it's a good thing this isn't live. <laughs> I'd, I'd gotten a tweet already. But the, um, and now there's like, there's a bunch of them and they've kind of popped up. And I remember seeing like at the Laugh Factory and at the Comedy Store, I believe I saw Bill Hicks perform Ooh. You know, in the early 90s. Oh, I would love to Dennis see Wolfberger. I don't know him. Oh, he was a teacher too. Really? Yeah, and he was hilarious. He would do this weird hypertension thing. He had like a kind of lazy eye. Mm-hmm. He'd be like, yeah, I just got finished grading papers. For the Ayatollah! <laughs> you know, he'd, like, he'd just like jump into this like crazy, like super hypertense thing. And he would just, you'd look at him and just laugh. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you prayed that you weren't like mid-sip, <laughs> you know, when, when he was about to launch into one of those little personality things. And... Just, I know, Sam Kinison was still around. Oh, Kinison. Um, I had, like, a little pocket recorder, and um, my old roommate, Todd Harvey, will probably remember this. Um, we saw him in the parking lot uh, between the Rainbow and the Roxy one night. Mm-hmm. So we were, like, you know, long-haired, you know, like, heavy metal kids that were, like, oh, I guess you got to play glam if you're going to play L.A., you know. But we used <laughs> to play, like, Slayer and stuff. And um, and we saw Sam coming out of uh, coming out of the rainbow. And I was like, oh, Sam, can you, um, can I, can you record my answering machine message? And he totally did. Really? Yeah, and it was raunchy as hell. You know, <laughs> I it, still have that thing right now, man. It, it died in oh. the tape. Because remember, answering oh, okay, machines had yeah. those little mini yeah. tapes. And it, it ate the tape. And I was oh. like, oh, you know. Oh, man. These days, I mean, now I, I fix boom boxes and stuff. I'd I get in there and I'd fix that tape if I had to put it together. <laughs> the with The pencil thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. everything. Little, little, you know, <laughs> uh, the screwdrivers and everything. Oh, man. The stuff you fix your, your glasses with. But, um... 
I mean, it was just such a really interesting time. And, and L.A. does kind of go through those those eras where, like, comedy gets big and then, like, all of a sudden drama will get big. Yeah. And, um, you know, people get excited about, um, you know, for a long time there was the Actors Gang, which was um, Tim Robbins' troupe, which launched Jack Black. Mm. Um, and a lot of people that he continues to work with. And someone who would frequently guest would be John Cusack, and he and, and Tim have been very close friends for years. Um, I think he still runs the theater. I don't think he's as actively involved. Then there was Open Fist Theater, which used to be on La Brea, and then moved over to the west side on, um, I think, on Sepulveda. And that hosted um, you know, the last performances of, um, of Leo Penn, and uh, James Gandolfini was was in wow. that play. Sean Penn was producing. Damn. Just incredible stuff. And I mean, you don't think of L.A. as really a theater town. You think of it as an act, you know, yeah. as like a, a movie, a TV town. But in between, you know, in between those cracks, and like as um, as screenwriters like Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez were starting to do a different type of movie. Um, a lot of these people were, were they were looking to theater to pull people up into these roles because they didn't want to cast people that everybody already knew. Mm. Almost like that Walking Dead, you know, kind of dynamic. So we're going to grab all these people from Australia because nobody knows who they are. So we can either keep them or kill them and no one will know. <laughs> and it, which is now like everybody on American television is is Australian, wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. which is pretty crazy. That and or uh, coming from like the UK because like yeah. for whatever reason, whatever they're doing out there, uh, the actors are coming here and killing. Yeah. I think I'm going to go out there and study next year. Yeah. Uh, well, some people would say that, you know, that the Shakespearean acting can hamper... Like a lot of the the very famous um, British actors, you know Anthony Hopkins, mm -hmm. um, you know people of that caliber have uh, Jeremy Irons have they they're very proud of their um, you know Royal Academy of of you know acting British chops and doing the Shakespeare, but they said they had such a challenge doing Tennessee Williams, mm. and so like to then completely change gears from that very formulaic, very you know by the numbers but perfect. Mm -hmm. um, British presentational acting to get into that more method type of thing they had to kind of like unscrew their heads and just completely rethink it wow. and of course the best of them can do both Yeah. but yeah I mean having you know some, some amateur Tennessee Williams under my belt <laughs> that stuff is not easy <laughs> no no I mean it's all hard Shakespeare is insane yeah. uh, I would I want to try to do Shakespeare in a park I've never yeah. had to do Shakespeare I remember like coming up in theater in college you would kill his puck <laughs> would I, you would, would I? kill as Puck. Well, let's find, I mean, that's find kind that of out. who your character is on Ballers. You know, it's like you're kind of like the great unknown. Like you walk in, you, you disappear, and people forget about you for a couple of minutes, and then you walk back in, and you just you just completely change. Oops, you completely <laughs> change the dynamics of the scene by walking back on set, which is exactly what Puck is. He's the great, you know, agitator. All right. Well, now I know who I want to be yeah. when I get out there. From, from my from my mouth to the ears of the casting agents everywhere. <laughs> Carl McDallas Puck. <laughs> And passing the playoffs right down the street from where I live. So really, yeah, you know, right. you know who Morgan Freeman oh, started I'm... passing the playhouse. Oh man, yeah. And um, I think when, oh my gosh, um, who he had started with Stella Adler and he had done um, worked under Horton Foot, um, Duval, I think when he first came out to L.A. was performing at the Pasadena Playhouse too. And I think he and Morgan Freeman did work together. Mm. at a certain point and it's funny i of course first knew morgan freeman from the electric company the electric company the uh the one like came on after sesame yeah Street. wow he was a regular on, on the electric company and so when he transitioned into serious roles and i saw 
And so you've got a movie with Christopher Reeve, who is Superman, mm-hmm. and Morgan Freeman, who is in the Electric Company, and they were in a movie called, um, I think it was Streetwise, and Morgan Freeman is is a pimp, and he is like no joke, like iceberg slim, real deal pimp. Morgan Freeman. Yeah, I got to see. And this. like is his the first movie I saw him in, and and with that those two performers, I thought it was you know clearly for a ten year old boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Superman <laughs> and snuck into, <laughs> snuck into that theater in Danvers, Massachusetts, <laughs> and I was like, what are those words he's saying? <laughs> you know, but um. And 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 completely uh, wow! What an amazing performance! And I think a lot of people who had seen him do great work from that point forward. I think he might even have been nominated like right out the gate for that. Really? Yeah. And <laughs> um, and then of course Shawshank was like the game changer. Where it's yeah. like this man is absolutely star material. One of the greatest performers we have. You know, I'd listen to him narrate the back of a cereal box. Anything. Yeah. I mean, he could read anything. Yeah. Directions, he'd be like, all right, all right, Morgan. Oh, he'd be great for directions in he your sh- car. He should be, he should do GPS. that. GPS. GPS. Oh, that'd be fabulous. Well, what else have you, have you got going on? And, um, I mean, it's, you're, you're, this is like what everybody wants. Like every actor wants a series. Yeah. You know, it's like it's it's evergreen. It allows you, you know, you've got time off. So you can you can take other projects if you want to take other projects. Mm-hmm. You can travel in between. With a show like yours, you get to travel anyways. Yeah. Because you're part of an entourage of an incredibly wealthy athlete. <laughs> <laughs> on a show starring the, well, the the highest paid man in Hollywood. And um, and about the most exciting aspect of entertainment. And, and again, because it's, that part of the story focuses on football, mm-hmm. which has been such a hot button topic, you know, about um, whether it's just about the NFL having tax free exemption status, um, whether it's about, you know, backlash against cities building stadiums instead of the billionaires that own the teams, um, the concussion thing that mm-hmm. has become a deal. I love that Ballers has really addressed injury and how players want to hide injury. Mm hmm. You know, Especially like, if they got injured playing paintball. Paintball, paintball <laughs> I know. <laughs> that, that's like that. Oh, I love that storyline. <laughs> but uh, but it's true, you know, that um, and just like a lot of other professions that um, rely on, on a level of performance that injuries can completely sideline a career. And we've seen it happen. You know, we used to see it happen a lot more often. And now I think, you know, a lot of the steroid era of baseball and um, no sport has attacked steroids the way that baseball did. I mean, yeah. hockey will be in trouble. Oh, hockey will be in serious trouble if they Football start doing random too. testing. Football with, I mean, yeah. every sport they they dabble in steroids. Like yeah. when I was in college, I played with this guy. He was a punter, and yeah. he was juiced up, man. I mean, this dude he lift. He was the highest bencher on the team. Wow. Uh, and he was a punter, and I was like, why do you do steroids? Why do you do steroids yeah. as a punter? But he could boom this ball. And um, so our punter took steroids. I never took steroids, yeah. but I was like really talented. Like I could, I could do anything on a football field. Wow! Um, but I, so I never had to. T- I didn't. I never even lift weights. Like more, I was fast, but I was too small. I was fast, but too small. <laughs> and uh, like when we lifted weights, I had this friend Thaddeus, and uh, he was my best friend at the time. Mm-hmm. We would always lift weights together. Mm-hmm. He was a, a workout freak, so he would lift my weights, and I'd just be under it like I'm pushing. Right, right. <laughs> so I hated weights. I didn't like them. And um, so, yeah, steroids went for me, but it's for other people, I guess. Yeah. And whatever they want, they want. You know, if, if somebody wants to do steroids, let them do steroids. I think as long as it's 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 an option. I, and, of course, the, the, the controversy is that because kids look up to athletes, I mean, we have a whole conversation about whether they should <laughs> and they probably shouldn't they should at all. Not. They shouldn't. But it's kind of like, you know, it used to be dead jail or rock and roll, you know, and now it's like 
there's a couple more options on the table mm-hmm. and you know it's you can be you can be funny yeah you know you can be and drama was like something that wasn't even a possibility if you know the um the dude that was on the wire who we see sometimes um and he's now he's got a show on vice and um he was Omar on on the wire. Oh, Michael. Yeah. So Michael is like he's very open about like I just spent time with these guys that if if they knew me when I was a kid they would have yeah. beaten the hell out of me. Like these yeah. are the same dudes that used to pick on me and used to you know like <clears throat> cause me some serious anxiety as a youth. Yeah. And now they look at me and they're like Omar, yeah, you're cool. And he's yeah. he, he's really kind of split about how he feels about that. And he's a very socially conscious dude too. He is. I saw I saw him on a any given Wednesday say that. Yeah. And and he is, and it's a weird thing because like if I didn't even know about drama in my high school. Yeah. I mean I, I remember some kids saying they was doing a play and I'd be like oh you nerds doing your plays yeah, kind of yeah. thing. I didn't, I didn't even think about drama in high school. And I thought like if you did do drama they would call you names or they probably yeah. beat you up or something like that. So it wasn't an, it wasn't an option to do drama. And yeah. I, didn't, I didn't think about being an actor back then. I, all I thought about was football. Yeah. I thought I'd be in the NFL at some point. Um, so, yeah, never thought about drama. And, and now you kind of are. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah, I never, I never, I mean, drama in high school, I, th- I wish they would bring it up now. Like, hopefully it's up, it's up there to where, Drama is one of the things that you want to do to be a cool person. Well, clearly, I think I think that depends on where you are, right? You know, it's yeah. like anything. It's like the quality of education really depends on on the zip code, mm. you know, and how much money's going into that school system. And I mean, I used to freak out when they make us sell the chocolate bars. Yeah. Like ah, education's supposed to be free, and I'm a little proletariat. <laughs> I'm, I'm a 12 year old proletariat, and I'm like, no, this is wrong. Anarchy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already too late for the Sex Pistols, but I'm still listening to that record, you know, and, and I'm like, I will not sell your chocolate bars. <laughs> you know, my, my, my parents pay taxes, you know, all the self-aggrandizing stuff. And of course, you know, you look in different schools. Chicago is a golden example of this, that from zip code to zip code, the quality of the education is completely different. Yeah. And it's how much money is getting pumped into a school system. So what's one way that they can do that? It's a sports program. And would, so yeah. the sports programs have been bringing money in that isn't necessarily filtering back down into the education system. And, you know, there's this controversy about it in college and the fact that college athletes are professional athletes that don't get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I think, and I agree with you here, that it's that as far as the steroid controversy goes, I think that if it's okay and you can decide whether or not you want to use them, then fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it, but they ha- it has to be an open field where anybody can participate. And Everybody, certain people yeah. are going to be able to excel. And there, and certainly there are people who probably are on steroids that didn't get any better. Yeah. You know, and, and there's people who didn't need them or people, people who, who didn't, didn't want them. them. Who didn't want them. Yeah. And you should have. I mean, like, you know those people. Yeah. You, you, you should let the people who want to do steroids do steroids. Yeah. It's their body. It's their life that they got to deal with it. Let yeah. them do it. I mean, you shouldn't. The game is ruined because of the steroids, not because yeah. people are doing them, because they keep like it's, suspending people. Yeah. Or it's the controversy. It's it's this <clears throat> law, and in baseball, you know, a uh, kind of mercurial character, both in Los Angeles and Boston, is is um, Manny. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was was caught for taking a drug that wasn't on the exclusion form the previous year. Mm-hmm. And they added it because it was a drug that hid using steroids. Oh. 
So, you know, it to me, it does put a little bit of a shadow over that 2000, um, you know, 2004 World Series. But I'll take it. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like you got I mean, if they probe into any team yeah. and and test all the players, and they're gonna pop a lot of people. Yeah. So I mean, it should. That's a that's a championship you guys won. Even if he was steroided out, yeah. it's really hard to hit a ball coming in at 100 miles per hour. Yeah. Steroids or not. Yeah. Like, I mean, you could juice all you want. Hand eye coordination is where it is. And yeah. You know, I don't I don't know about the steroids. I, I wish there were teams with the culture. Though it was like there yeah. was the Texas Rangers and there were the New York Yankees, mm-hmm. and you look at the home runs in those two towns, you know, in a certain time, and of course before that you had, um, you know, the the St. Louis and Chicago kind of the Mark McGuire, yeah. Sammy Sosa, <clears throat> yeah. yeah, and um, if you if you remember that that kind of home run derby that they had going on in the middle of the middle of the sport. Um, it, it was electrifying. It was. And then to find out that they were both juicing mm-hmm. and then have them both completely obliterated by Barry Bonds anyways, who um, was a great player anyways. And yeah. he, he needed to do what he needed to do to sustain his career. He's probably going to get kept out of the Hall of Fame. Um, I agree with um, with Bill on any given Wednesday. Bill Simmons like, let him in. Have it mm-hmm. be part. Have there be a you know a a feature at, in Cooperstown that addresses the steroid era and talks about you know these guys were the best in the game during this era. There was a controversy. You know there are certain players that didn't get the awards they should have gotten because players that were juicing illegally mm-hmm. got those awards. Jose Canseco very famously beat Mike Greenwell for MVP in the American League. So what what was Mike Greenwell's career like? Not winning the MVP. Mm. You know if he had won it. You know, he would have had a better salary. He would have had a much better end of his career, I think. Mm-hmm. So there is definitely that aspect to uh, to things. The um, the benefit of, I think, just opening it up to everybody is that you're all on a level playing field. You can make your own decisions. You can make your own decisions. And then just educate to the best degree <clears throat> possible um, to young people that you take them early, it's going to end your career early. I mean, you think about um, the Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire thing mm-hmm. that brought baseball back. Yeah. So after a void year, yeah. So yeah. steroids brought baseball back, and now yeah. you want to get them out of the game. That's a very interesting. I mean, it's point. like looking a gift horse in the mouth. You that's can't never have talked about. Ways. That's that's a really articulate point. I yeah. Mean, I've and, never heard that addressed, and it's absolutely true. Yeah. You cannot have it both ways. You got to do one or the other, um, and it, it brought you back. Yeah. And still to this day, like all these balls going out, everybody loves the home run. Everybody yeah. loves it. I don't. I wouldn't mind seeing like these big freaks just smashing balls out of the park. I wouldn't mind seeing that anime because, style <laughs> monsters with twenty seven rows of ribs, just big trees yeah. and just boom, knocking a ball out. I wouldn't mind seeing that. I mean, if that's what it was, that's yeah. what it is. It's baseball. Oh, that could be a separate sport. It could just be home run derby. <laughs> just you just go run. see home run derbies. Just go see big monsters. Just like dunk. Runs. I would prefer to see dunk contests than to watch a game of basketball. I get too like freaked out by it. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, <gasps> you know, like, I get too too totally excited, and then I'm like, I, no one wants to see this. So um, I, I actually don't watch that much basketball anymore. And you know, it's funny that you know I came from Boston and came to LA, and it seems like the championships came with me, <laughs> um, much to my chagrin, not having been a Lakers fan mm-hmm. but um, you know as this is an era of rebuilding the Clippers are doing great and I'd yeah. love to see the Clippers succeed because they were always kind of like to me the real LA team really they started here right Lakers came from Lakers um, came from Minnesota Minnesota yeah yeah. Yeah. You never even think about that because Clippers are like the sister of yeah. LA. Like, yeah, the, they're like the redheaded stepchild. <laughs> like the redheaded stepchild. Yeah. I, I could say that I was born with red hair. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, 
and these are things that the show is, I'm sure, going to address and has addressed in certain capacities. Mm-hmm. You know, there have been, um, you know, we talked about injury, and I'm sure there's, we're talking about pills with the main the character. Drug use. And the post-career drug use. Mm-hmm. You know, that um, I've, I've known a couple of, of people who played professional football years ago, and part of that real smash mouth era, you know, mm. in the 70s, I, I, a guy that was a next door neighbor of mine in Burbank was on the Steelers, you know, in those Ooh. crazy 70s years. The Steel Curtain? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And he just he just sits there in his, his garage and listens to the radio all day. <laughs> yeah, I, I love talking to that dude. I'd, I'd, I'd go over, I'd bring a six pack and sit down and, you know, just have a couple of beers. Brain. With him. Yeah, I just oh, listen to him. That'd be good. But he'd talk, he's like, oh, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm sure I got five or six concussions playing, playing the sport. And I'm like, but I'm like, you can still talk, you know, yeah. you know, like you, you, you're still, you've got your wits about you. And he's like, oh, my hip's gone. My knees are gone. My back is gone. He's like, I'm lucky. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky that, my, that I still got my wits. He's like, but I, I lost my body years ago. When you play football and I played football from high school, college, semi-pros, mm-hmm. I mean, you ain't thinking about, you know, I, I would never think about a concussion. Yeah. I and mean, I'm pretty sure I've had a, a lot of them. I played quarterback, so wow. I got hit a lot and I'm pretty sure I had a bunch of concussions. One time I remember getting hit and then coming to in the middle of a play like what what's happening wow, I didn't even know wow that's heavy <clears throat> and here's the thing i wouldn't i wouldn't trade it for the world i don't wouldn't i don't like the the new changes that they're doing making it safer yeah. they can pay a lot of money yeah it shouldn't be that safe <laughs> I mean, it, sh- it shouldn't be something that an accountant can come and do it should be right. something that these men at these gladiators can do yeah and they they giving themselves they giving themselves for it for the art like i mean you give yourself for the art if i had yeah. to go for a movie role and get buffed up i'd probably do steroids and do all kind of stuff yeah. just so i can get to that part I'd give myself to that part. Yeah. And that's what these athletes are doing. And and unlike these rule changes and making it boxing safer. Boxing like that, right? You know, there's it's no like, way that they won't get concussed yeah. from a boxing match. Yeah. Every, I mean, you're getting punched in the head a hundred times. Yeah. You got to be concussed. After a couple of deaths in the ring and in fights that should have been called early, that didn't get called early, in some cases where they should not have been the matchups that they had, that they mm. were ridiculous matchups. And, you know, the, the weigh in, sometimes the weight can fluctuate 25 pounds, mm-hmm. 40 pounds. Yeah, they, weigh, they weigh in one day and then they just go get fat th- that night yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> so th- there have been a couple of, of times where that became an issue and, and it's resulted in a fatality in the ring. But almost in at least one of those occasions, it was a murder in the ring where the guys cheated and they soaked the gloves. Yeah, there's big controversy. There's a great HBO documentary called Murder in the Ring about that. So really? we're not talking about, you know, Boom Boom Mancini accidentally killing somebody yeah. by, by punching a dude that should not have been in the ring with him. Mm-hmm. But that I find that they, they call it too early now. You know, it really does take away the... Um, and I know it's for safety, and mm-hmm. as and we may sound like barbarians, you know, um, with this opinion, but I feel like I haven't really seen some some fighters go toe-to-toe because the fight got called a little too quickly. And I, yeah. I understand that it's better to err on the side of caution than, you know, someone dying because they... I'd err on the side of caution in an amateur fight. <clears throat> and gotcha, gotcha. Amateurs. Sure. Anything amateur, college, high school, things like that, I'd call, I'd err on the side of caution. Sure. But if these guys, Mayweather got, what, $100 million for his last yeah. fight. 
you know, let him go. Yeah. <laughs> let him go. I, I do not enjoy watching him fight. Do you not? No. I like to watch him. I don't like him as a person. I didn't person. like watching Sugar Ray Leonard either. It's too technical. It's not, it's not oh, boxing you don't to like me. The technic- I don't like people running around the ring. And, <laughs> you know, I, I loved Marvin Hagler, and I still say he won more of those fights than they gave him. <laughs> but Marvin was a real, a real boxer. He was a brawler. Yeah, he's a brawler. And, um, you know, people say, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard is a better boxer because he was the sweet science. You know, it was like he was really technical. He, yeah. I hated watching those you fights. You didn't like to watch that. Oh, huh? drive me crazy do you like watching like the san antonio spurs when they like and they bore an offense and it's just <laughs> fundamentals <laughs> like it's certain certain things like fundamentals i love the fundamentals but there's certain yeah. things i can't watch like the san antonio spurs i can't watch them at all because they too fundamental yeah um but mayweather sugar ray i could watch i love yeah. them because they so technical like Mayweather can beat you and not, not throw a punch, kind of. He's just so... He makes you fight yourself. He makes you fight yourself. Yeah, and yeah. he's so smart at fighting that you think, like, why can't it just... In his regular life, why yeah. can't he be this smart in his regular life? Yeah. And I but I also think that he's gotten a few decisions that he didn't deserve. That, you know... I, I really f- there's this idea that if you're the if you're the champ that the other guy has to beat you has and, to beat you unless you happen to be from East LA, <laughs> <laughs> you know because that dude could not catch a break. You know Golden Boy was oh. like he had like three fights that you know he didn't beat the guy down but he didn't lose him. Yeah, and they took the fights away from him. And I, I, I felt that was always kind of a bummer. Like, for some reason, nobody in the sport really respected that guy. And I loved Oscar. I used to love watching Oscar fight. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I remember Oscar De La Hoya. I remember that whole era. And mm-hmm. um, I don't remember why they, but I do remember feeling like they don't they don't treat him like normal. Yeah. I don't know why. I didn't know why. I didn't get into his whole thing. Yeah. Um, but I do remember it was like a, and I remember pictures coming out with him and like, uh, pantyhose or something like that, and I don't know if that was what it was. I don't know what the what the reason was right. they they treated him like that, but I did pick up on some things from him. Like yeah. he would lose fights or he wouldn't get decisions. And yeah, and once it started, it was like it was a bunch of them. Mm. So it was like once they they I feel like they robbed him of a victory in one fight, which is his first loss, and then. He just they just he's kept losing like he he couldn't bounce back mm-hmm. even though in some cases I felt like he had he had put on the best performance in the fight now and, and a good friend of mine told me he's like when you watch a boxing match if you're watching it for the first time he's like turn the sound off and turn just the watch sound it off. yeah don't listen because the 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 announcers and the crowd will make you think something happened that yeah. didn't happen so you do have to watch it with the sound off yeah. and just watch with your eyes and let your eyes be the judge yeah. And watch punch for punch. Let and see what's going on. Watch jabs. I love watching boxing, yeah. but I feel like it's a sport that's going away. Like me and my friend yeah, George, because of MMA. Because of MMA mm-hmm. and MMA, I, I do think that those, like they they fight with their fist, they feet, they everything. They mm-hmm. use their whole bodies, and in boxing, it's just punching from the head to the torso kind yeah. of thing, and that's that's all you can do. You're limited there. Well, they even started, you know, when when they first started doing um, MMA. It was really like blood sport. I mean, nothing yeah, was really off the yeah. table, and you had guys like Mark the Smashing Machine who would gouge your eyes and beat your head into the into the the mat. And I mean, when they changed the rules on him in a fight in Japan, and he lost, and he was like freaking out in a steroid rage. But the um, you know, and Bob Sapp, Bob you know, Sapp. who was just like he's the nicest dude in the world, and you just can't even imagine. Him, and he was so nice, and I was like, how do you fight people? And he was like, well, when they fight you, you fight them back. Yeah. <laughs> But he was so nice. He never not had a smile on his face. He yeah. was so, so nice. And uh, they did used to be barbaric. I remember uh, when UFC started, I started watching, and I was like, I can't I can't watch this. This is too, it's too Blood bloody. all over the it's place, yeah. 
and then they ch- the rule change happened, and now it's fun to watch. Yeah, that's interesting, though, right? It's like you know, you, you wanted to see that thing that you didn't really want to see. Yeah, but you had to see it to know that you didn't want to see it. Yeah, it was... and now it's I, I do like the the rulings that they have now, and the fights are better. The fights are much better. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Um, shoot me out some some websites or some social media, and let me know what else is going on. Um, well, <laughs> Carl McDowell on Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. Carl Mac O Seven. Uh, Twitter, Carl McDowell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was on Roadies, I think, last week. I don't know if it's out. I think I'm up on Roadies this week cool. or last week. Yeah. And um, a few commercials coming out soon. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. And I thanks want to remind everybody, me. too, that uh, we just finally, I think this is like our 45th episode, we finally got some social media happening from Pod Sequentialism. We have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter account. We have Instagram. Um, and we'll we'll be posting stuff. We'll post some pictures of the guests in the studio. I'll have to take a picture of you in a little bit. All right. And um, anybody who um, who listens to this show, it, it grew out of, of course, the Pop Sequentialism um, exhibitions of traveling comic book art. And um, if you want to pick up one of those catalogs, you can do so. You can um, send an email contact us through any of the social media and we'll be happy to um sell you a signed copy of that i think they're only 10 bucks or something like that and i think i even i think we the shipping is very minimal too so if that interests you you can do that um otherwise you know tune in again next week and we'll have somebody also very interesting and uh we'll we'll talk about the the things that we like you know our tv our movies our sports and, and the like thank you for having me you got it man cheers Hello, this is Matt Kennedy from Pod Sequentialism. And um, what many many of you may know that I, I do run a gallery in Los Angeles called La Luz de Jesus Gallery. And what you may not know is that it's inside Wacko, which is probably the greatest center of pop culture in the world. And it may sound like hyperbole, it's not. Um, you can, If you don't want to trust my judgment, you can listen to people like Kevin Smith, uh, James Gunn, uh, David Mack, um, all of whom will swear that uh, one of their favorite places on earth is uh, Wacko, the shop that houses La Luz de Jesus Gallery. Um, whether it's blind box toys or little tchotchkes or art books, it pretty much is the place that you can get all of your Christmas shopping done for every possible annoying person to buy for that you can imagine. They've got everything, and I highly recommend that you visit them. You can visit them online at soapplant.com. You can visit the gallery at laluzdejesus.com, and that's spelled L-A-L-U-Z-D-E-J-E-S-U-S.com. Check them out and tell them Matt Kennedy sent you.